0: Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn Alex Meacham I'm on Snapchat at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok that's right now this is the special edition of the podcast my interview series with a very special guest
1: all right, I'm excited to bring in my next guest. He's currently a staff writer and editor for The Athletic, covering the Cincinnati Bearcats. He's an excellent writer, and I I really admire his work. He reached out to me, I guess, around November sometime about an article he was doing about the era of the brand Jordan, the Jordan Brand sponsorship of the Bearcats. And so I would like to bring in Justin Williams. What's going on, my guy? What's up, each? Nothing much, man. I'm uh trying to
2: survive these crazy times so how about you same same, you know hunkered down trying to to make do of of kind of life uh life indoors life at the house but uh you know doing our best now has this time
1: um helped you at all in regards to writing articles and and getting stories and getting
2: hold of people so far you know we're pretty early in i don't know exactly you know when when you're going to put this out but you know we're we're still kind of just in the, the the first weeks of it and so i think so far you know everyone's kind of in the same boat they're they're stuck at home they can't do much so people are willing to talk and it's new enough that there's some interesting stuff to write about you know, whether that continues a couple weeks, you know, hopefully not a couple months into this, I think that will it'll look a little different. But at, at least right now, I just think everyone, since everyone's kind of in the same position, people are willing to to talk about it and are easy to get on the phone.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And it's it's been tremendous for us as far as uh, getting interviews for the podcast because a lot of folks that I've been reaching out to for, for months um, have been busy. And now they're like, yeah. What time? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me know. I mean, by the time this airs, um, we'll have interviews with, uh, Lizelle Durden. Do you I'm remember right. Lazelle Durden?
2: Yeah, of course.
1: And, um, this is the, actually he told us, this is the first time, um, that he's ever really talked, um, about the Wyoming game with the three free throws and what was going through really? his mind. Yeah. So it is fascinating, um, to hear Lizelle talk about that, uh, Finally got a hold of James White. Um, he was—he's back from a. We had a l- lot of trouble trying to connect because he's been overseas.
2: Yeah, I saw so he's like
1: quarantining
2: himself, basically, isn't he? Just because he was traveling.
1: Absolutely, he—he yeah. he has, and uh, he's just there with his family. And um, his, his interview was fantastic. I mean, that dude is going to be a coach, and it would not surprise me if one day he's on the sidelines with Coach Brandon coaching. I mean, he's. He's really sharp. You'll, you'll be very impressed with that. And um, It was really cool, Justin, because I talked to Lizelle Durden about the Wyoming game, and um, he has the nickname The Gunslinger, um, and he got his nickname from – do you know how he got that nickname? I have no idea. So that famous nickname that he has comes from Kevin Frazier. Um, okay. Kevin Frazier used to be the play-by-play commentator for the Bearcats, and Kevin's now the host of – you know, entertainment tonight. Right. Um, in the Hollywood world he's, you know, one of the top guys in the Hollywood world, so was able to lock him down finally I and mean, he's now on his busy uh hanging out with Will Smith and stopping by Oprah's house, which really right. happened. I mean I tried to interview him one time and he was he said I can't, I'm going by Oprah's. I'm like oh, pretty convenient.
2: <laughs> so, if there's any good reason to get bumped for an interview, I mean <laughs>
1: <laughs> going up for his houses. That's right? a good reason. Yeah, man. So um, so we, we've got a lot of great interviews uh, coming up here, but I really think that um, this one we're about to do is going to be really special for not just the Bearcat fans, but there's like a group of Bearcat fans that this era we're going to talk about that are just going to love just some of the details that we're going to dive into and some of the research that you did, but first, I really want to have people kind of get to know who you are. You know, you do fantastic work with your, with your articles, but I mean, what's your background?
2: Uh, So I grew up, I'm a Cincinnati kid. I grew up over on the West side, um, like far, far West side, Cleves, pushing out towards Indiana Um, and definitely grew up, you know, watching, watching UC and Bearcats. I mean, um, you know, or a little bit earlier than, than when those teams, that you were on but that was like Danny Fortson you know mm-hmm. that was that was the guy who I watched growing up and then definitely into like the the Kmart years and, and all those teams you played on um, I went to Ohio University for college studied journalism out there and then actually got into magazines you know lived up in Cleveland for a while came back and worked at Cincinnati magazine mm-hmm. um, The getting to the athletic I'm I'm I feel like I'm kind of an anomaly among a lot of people there you know a lot of the guys who and girls who started working for the athletic, you know, they were beat writers for whatever team that they cover now for local newspapers or, you know, a lot of people worked at ESPN and, and stuff like that. Um, I was in magazines. I mean, I was writing a lot about sports and covering sports for Cincinnati Magazine, but I, we didn't have like a specific sports writer. I just kind of did a lot of that stuff because I like sports um, and did a little bit of UC, you know, coverage there, but nothing too intensive. And, you know, just when the athletic Cincinnati started, which would have been – february 2018 i believe um you know it was they were kind of quick getting off the ground they hired c trent uh, to cover cover reds Moeger was writing some forum shannon russell but they just they didn't have a lot of full-time people and so they needed some help and uh i was pitching in doing some freelance stuff uh, and that led to a, a full-time gig and then that kind of transitioned into to me being the the uc guy and honestly like i don't mind telling people this now when i started it was mainly supposed to be basketball-focused, you know, just Mm -hmm. because that's where the history's always been. And they were coming off the first fickle season, which was not great for football. But I was kind of like, let me just do football, if only because I've never really done this before mm-hmm. full time, and that'll just help me get into it. They were totally cool with that, and then you know, very fortunate that the football team decides to go eleven and two that first season, <laughs> and went eleven and three last year, and you know, so now it's just been full time on both of them. Um, and that's, I mean, part of it, that's a credit to the football team, that's also just a credit to the way readers and fans kind of responded, and they they showed that they wanted that football stuff too. um But obviously, you know still still a huge basketball school and tradition. Um and, and so that's what I've been doing almost two almost two full years now. Wow. So wait what high school did you go to? I went to Taylor High School. Oh yeah. Which yeah, you know, Three yeah. Rivers. The the Taylor High School I went to doesn't actually exist anymore. Um I think it's T- three of us technically like one school now. I don't. I don't know if they still call the high school Taylor or not. But uh, so like, so when you see guys they like, like
1: to, did, did uh, they have to take down the statue they put of you up then?
2: They have, <laughs> they, is that still there or the the claim to fame for Taylor is when guys like Evan Prater go out and just you know run up forty points on him in a football game or something like that. Like that was me when I was in high school. Was, was having those guys do that. I remember you remember Brandon Miller who played for uh for UC as a walk on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so he went he went to Indian Hill. Right, he he hung I think like thirty five on us one game when when I when I was there.
1: And that was that was the claim the same
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, so funny funny story real quick,
1: Brandon and I are very, very good friends and so growing up Brandon played in my basketball program.
3: Oh nice. And
1: yes, I had mentioned to um the Bearcat staff at the time, believe it or not, it was Andy Kennedy was the assistant coach at UC. Mm-hmm. and I had mentioned to him, hey, we've got this kid, and he wants to play college soccer. He's not really getting a lot of basketball looks, but I think he'd be a great kid to to really take a look at as far as being a walk-on. I think he could help out in practice. And so one of the uh, other assistants just happened to see him play and was like, yeah, we, we want him. And so Brandon goes over. Uh, he talks to A.K., <clears throat> this is this is a crazy story. So Brandon and Brandon at the time he's a lot better now. He's a very very shy kid um
3: mm-hmm.
1: back in high school. Very very shy, and went over on his own. Talked to Andy Kennedy, and it was a done deal. He's going to be a walk on. He was he called me. He was super excited. <clears throat> I said great. So he goes and does what he does. I'm doing what I'm doing. Then all of a sudden my phone rings, and Hugs got fired. I mean, it was literally, Brandon talked to AK, like, August 3rd, and then it was like Hugs got fired on, like, the 15th or something like that. Right. It was crazy. So he never did get a chance to play for Hugs, and he was part of that. He was part of the AK first season, and then the transition to the uh, Mick Cronin era. Right,
3: sure.
1: Yeah, so so crazy you you, you brought him. I got to get him on the podcast to talk about that whole Thing. So you just see, you you're helping me out.
2: So, if he, hey, he remembers, just totally taking it to Taylor High School back in the day. I'm
3: sure he does.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Oh, trust me, I'm sure he remembers. The kid's got like a steel trap memory in regards to like games and stuff and little details like that. He'll he'll remember. He won't brag about it, but he'll Correct. remember it. He's like, oh, I think I might have scored a couple points. <laughs> but uh, listen, and I feel bad because. You know, um, you did this article, a fantastic article, by the way, and I mean, it came out on December 5th, and I kept telling you every time I saw you, I want to get you on the podcast, and, you know, the timing was just always, you know, crazy, and so, but we're here now, and and, yeah, and, and listen, the piece is timeless, in my opinion, just because of, you know, Bearcat basketball and that Jordan Airs is such, ai think, a timeless period for a lot of the fans, and the reaction for the article from everything I saw and people I talked to was was amazing. How how was it on your end?
2: Yeah, no, it it was actually really cool, and it's one of the stories that I knew it was gonna play well with UC fans, just because I mean they they love the program in general, but there's they're such an affinity for that time period, and everyone still loves those, those jerseys and those uniforms. But I, you and I talked a little bit about this kind of. You had kind of a story about it too, but I was just amazed at how many people I heard from you know, who were not UC fans, whether it was like people I worked with who had grown up college basketball fans and are writing for The Athletic now and they remember those times or just random people who were commenting or emailing in, you know, talking about getting the East Bay catalogs with all the UC Jordan stuff. And it was, you know, we kind of talked about in that piece how important it was to just college basketball as a whole at that time. Mm-hmm. And it, it really kind of proved it in just the way it was hearing from people that how much that period resonated, the the Jordan brand, UC stuff resonated with people because, uh, I mean, I heard it from all over and I know you mentioned you did too. Yeah, and so,
1: and I think I told you about this, but I want everybody that's listening to hear the story. So the article comes out December 5th and every year I go down to Florida, my brother and family all live in Florida and my brother works for the Florida Gators football team and. My friends are the coaches of the Florida Gators basketball team. So I fly down to Florida for the Christmas break. I do it every year. And I go to um, Gators basketball practice. So I walk in, and Darius Nichols, assistant coach, Mike White, uh, Jordan Mincy, like the whole staff's coming up to me. Yo, I saw that article on the the Jordan. That was great. I'm like, what? It, it, It hit me. Like people here in Cincinnati were hitting me up about it. But I'm in Gainesville, Florida, at a basketball practice that's getting ready to start in two minutes, and the head coach is coming over talking to me about that whole time period and how cool that was. He's like, man, Kenyon Martin. This is like Mike White telling me, like, Kenyon Martin was like the best player in the country, and you guys had the blocks on us. I'm like, wow. So how, now how did this whole article come together?
2: So it was – it's funny, like, we – my editor and I, you know, he's he's been a Cincinnati guy for a long time, and, and he obviously, you know, remembers all of that UC stuff. So we talk about that all the time, just in part because I hear about it from fans so much. You know, you know I know you more than anyone probably does just how much people love those those uniforms and the shoes and all that kind of stuff. And so we always kind of talked, like, it would be great to be able to just find a way to write about this. And then it was actually, we, we call them at The Athletic, we call them blitzes, where it's like a company-wide thing that kind of focuses on a topic and and writes about it across different sports and things like that. And so they wanted to do something on shoes. And so it was pretty broad. But they were like, anything you have that's kind of related to this. And so people did stories about, like, different guys that are sneakerheads and have kind of tons of shoes or, like, iconic brands of shoes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we just realized that, you know, it was more than the shoes, obviously. It was the uniforms and the gear and everything. But this was, like, the kind of perfect excuse for us to finally do this story. And so, you know, they were just asking for ideas and my and I were like, this, you know, this is our chance to do it. We keep talking about doing
3: this. And,
2: you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, there's good stuff, but then I'm calling and talking to people like you um, or, you know, people like Hicks or people like Jamal who, you know, you kind of helped hook me up with and then you get all this stuff and it's like, it's so much better than you even just kind of thought it would be. There's so much <laughs> history there. And so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like there there was an excuse to do it. We did it. And yeah, it's one of those stories that I loved writing and it turned out better than I could have hoped for.
1: Yeah. And you reached out to Hugs. How was that? That's
2: right. So hugs is funny. Like I've talked to him a couple of times for a couple of different stories. Um, and the thing I always say is hugs is it's, he's easy to get on the phone. You know, some coaches, especially of his, you know, his stature, his level of kind of fame and success. You're not necessarily going to have it easy reaching out to him, and get him. But the guy at West Virginia, you reach out, you tell him what you want, you know, and he either says like, he'll call you then, or you can call him at this time, whatever, always easy to get on the phone. And then every time I do, I'm always just like, I think this is the least excited he's ever been to do an interview. <laughs> and I know, I know that's not true, because I've heard that from other people, who so he's just maybe never excited to do interviews.
3: <laughs> but it's like,
2: this was so easy to get him on the phone, and he just does not seem interested in this at all. But then you can usually get him going. Um, and, you know, it's, there's been different things, like I talked to him about when Chuck Maychok passed away, so that's a little bit different vibe. But, yeah. like, this story, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking him about it, and, there wasn't, you know, he was kind of giving answers and there wasn't anything good. I remember kind of the moment the interview flipped was I said something about like, were there any guys, who you felt, any recruits you felt like you landed that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to get? And just like classic hugs deadpan. You know, he said something like, what with my effervescent personality, you think that would have been a problem? And like from there, you know, it kind of took off a little bit and he was, he was into it and, and giving good stuff. But no, I, I always love talking to the Hug because it's like a challenge. You know, it I is. know I can get him on the phone, but the challenge to get him to like buy into the interview. Yep. And I think with this one, he eventually did.
1: That is, you, you're spot on with Hugs. I mean, <laughs> once you, it's like it's almost a game within a game with him.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, and you're 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 trying to win, and eventually you get the little nuggets, and when he gives you nuggets, man. He's, I mean, he's golden. Uh, quick, quick Hug story to to kind Please. of tie. Yeah, tie this into um, what you said in the article, and in the article you talk about um, how, how did the Jordan, you know, brand connection come about, and Huggs said something about, well, I think a lot of it had to do with our style of play, we were athletic, played above the rim, but then later in the article you said something about, you know, um, Hugs had that relationship with Michael Gordon in the fantasy camps and his basketball camps, right. which – I personally think that that was probably – it was just everything kind of tied together, like the red-black was the perfect colorway. But I also think that Hug's relationship with Michael played such a big part in it because if anybody knows Michael Jordan, he's a loyal relationship guy. Like when he was with the Wizards and he was the – what was it? Was he like the GM or whatever he was called at that time? Yeah, like
2: assistant to the GM. You know, he was – he wasn't obviously an owner like he is now, but he was he might have been the actual GM. He was definitely up in the organization.
1: Yeah, and he was making like he was hiring the coaches and he was bringing in these players. Like his whole the whole crew was like North Carolina people. And it was like that's the most loyal thing you could do, but at the same time they were awful. Like that's just how he is. He's just so loyal and I think Hugs being his friend and, and, and this is one thing that, that hit me and I've I've really I've never really told this story like this, but um I was looking to walk on, um, and I knew I had to go talk to Huggins, and I had never talked to Huggins in my life. I'm a student at UC, and I kind of walk into his uh, office. So I set up a meeting um, through his uh, assistant, Rini, at the time, and she said, you know, be here at 1 o'clock. You got a meeting with him. So I'm walking in, kind of not knowing what to expect. You know, Huggins is obviously a very powerful figure in the city, and so I walk in, and his office is so dark. I mean it's the, it's like there's like very little light in there and everything's like dark wood and so I walk in he's sitting behind the desk and he's like come on in now I'm nervous as hell now all right <laughs> it's dark um, he's sitting there and he's wearing glasses and he does he very rarely would ever wear glasses so he has glasses on and. I'm like, oh, my God. I had, like, everything scripted of what I wanted to say. And then as I'm walking to sit down, he has a giant picture on his wall, and it's him and Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan has his arms around hugs. (laughs) And Michael's just, like, smiling, looks like they're, like, the best friends in the world. And I'm like, and Michael's my idol. And I'm like, oh, my God like now i'm like super nervous because you know hugs is such a big figure i'm looking like dead like every time i see hugs i see this picture i can't avoid it but it helped me because i had a script of what i wanted to say and i like completely forgot like everything <laughs> i wanted to say and i just said you know what forget it like i just need to i just need to do this thing and and hugs had on and, and what, what i wanted to get to this was Hugs had on a pullover with the Jordan logo on it. Mm-hmm. We were not a Jordan school yet. He had bought a Jordan pullover and put Cincinnati on it <laughs> way before we even had the thing. So there was a relationship in play way, way back then. No, I,
2: I think you're right. And it's funny, like that was, you know, talking about that interview I had with Huggins, that was what I wanted to first kind of go into was like his relationship with mj and you know this probably won't surprise you you know him he, he didn't really play that up he was just kind of like oh yeah i worked fantasy camps with him and in talking to you and other people i knew it was a much bigger deal than that but hugs just that's not his style to play that up mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't make a big deal out of it but no I, I think you're totally right that doesn't just happen if they don't have that that built-in relationship
1: Absolutely. Now, another person that I think Bearcat fans need to hear about, you interviewed, and that's Jamal Lucas. You talk about a, a great story. Can you talk a little bit about your conversation with Jamal and his role at the brand right now?
2: Yeah, so, you know, obviously, I'm uh, sure you want you, – I don't know how much you want to get into this, but you're you're a part of this too. He's, he's working for Jordan Brand out in, you know, what is it, Oregon, at, mm-hmm. uh, at headquarters and obviously traveling around a bunch. But he's a guy who played at UC. You know, I think – you know, the, the diehard UC fans will remember that name and remember him. He's one of the Corpus Christi, Texas. He's a Texas kid, right? That's right. Yep. Um, and so came came to UC um, and ended up kind of working in the industry. I first starting here in Cincinnati and, and then he got an internship with Jordan and has kind of worked his way up. And he's like, I don't remember what his exact title is in the story, but he's basically the head of Jordan Brand for, I think, men's and women's college basketball. And, you know, a lot of that started because he was at UC when it was a Jordan school, and that was a big reason for him going there. Um, and, and he's, you know, been working in that realm now at a huge level. And it's it's funny to hear him talk because, you know, when he mentioned how when he got there, there were still people that, you know, knew about the the UC Jordan brand thing and how there's still, like, little kind of pieces of it. Uh, around the building, or you know, just kind of in the history of of Nike and Jordan out there, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I think it's kind of a crazy story because a lot of people probably, you know, diehard UC fans remember that name and remember him,
3: but I don't know that
2: they realize now that he's you know basically one of the highest ranking guys out for the the <laughs> Jordan company. It,
1: it, it's an amazing amazing story, and, and Jamal comes to UC is kind of a under-the-radar type of guy. I mean, he was a defensive specialist, um, didn't give you much on offense because of so many – I mean, he was a great offensive player in high school, but now you're on a team with so many great offensive players. Right. you got to kind of find your niche, and he was a great defender. But he's just one of those guys that just kind of flew under the radar for years, just kind of put his head down and worked and worked and worked. And, um, and he and I – and it's funny. So the funny story is I always tell people that – you know, they go, you know, you got so many damn shoes. Like, what's up with that? And I'm like, you know, shoes are really the – they're really just a conversation piece in a lot of ways. Like, I love them. They look cool. But at the end of the day, you know, I wear shoes, and people come up and say stuff to me, and, and I build a relationship with people. Sure. And And that's how Jamal and I got to know each other because Jamal came after I played, and Huds approached me and said, hey, man, we got this kid from Corpus Christi, Texas. He loves sneakers. He goes – you and him are the only two people that freak out about these shoes he's like you all need to like figure something out <laughs> i'm like what hugs? he's like you know how he is he's like y'all just need to figure something out. just talk or some shit. That's, that was like his quote <laughs> and so i'm like all right hug so it turned into a, a mentorship role um you know where i kind of became his his mentor through his time at uc and and, and every player every former player will tell you like playing for hugs It's a a roller coaster ride emotionally, and he tests you. And by that fourth year, you've pretty much been through the ups and downs, and you should know what to expect, and you then become the leader of many at that point. And so I had to kind of mentor Jamal through those ups and downs emotionally, those ways. And so at the end of the day, when he finished playing, you know, one of the great things about athletics is you build connections, and you get to meet a lot of different people. And and being that, we're sponsored by – the Jordan brand, I developed some relationships with those folks and connected Jamal and you know, he gets a job there and shoot all these years later man he's since he did yeah, the he article
2: like go thirteen ahead. years or something he's been working there
1: thirteen years, and since that article came out, he's got promoted, <laughs> <laughs> which is he won't tell people about, but I'm gonna brag about it anyway, and I mean he's you know almost third in command at the company like. I have been – listen to this. I have been with Jamal, and Michael Jordan called him. I have <laughs> – and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I have been with Jamal, and MJ called him, and he kind of silenced it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just, just, you,
3: that was Michael.
1: Jeffrey Jordan. You just, he's like, man, I know what he's calling about. He's like, I can't, I can't talk to him now, man. <laughs> he's like, I, I got to get my stuff together before I talk to him. I was like, that is hilarious. And and Jamal has, um, one, one great thing too, um, when Jamal was working with the brand, um, I, I forget what year it was, they realized like he was such an important piece to their company. And they were like, we need to have you work with our NBA athletes, like develop a A good relationship um between like mellow like mellow's not the easiest guy maybe to work with on the design side like not that he's Mm -hmm. a bad person but design wise he has no idea what goes in the shoes so maybe jamal you can help work through that and that kind of became something that he was so good at and so fast forward dwayne wade signs with the company and chris paul signs with the company as athletes both of whom played against Jamal, and remembered Jamal at Cincinnati. Really? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And, and you know, they just talked about, and, and Dwayne was like, man, he was like the toughest team I ever played against were the Bearcats. Dwayne said that, and I'm like, that's pretty, that's pretty cool to hear. But I'm glad you got a chance to talk to uh, Jamal. You talked to
2: Eric Hicks, one of the great personalities of Bearcat basketball. Well, and it's funny, like, because so many of them had great stories. Like, you know, the one about Jamal that I loved, you know, he's he's a sneakerhead just like you. Like, that was his thing. And he talked about he got that first pair that they, you know, gave whenever he joined the team. And he said that he wore it so much that the managers literally had to take them from him and throw them away. Like, that's how important they were for him. You know, personal thing. But then it's funny, like, talking to a guy like Hicks who – You know, he he realized how cool it was. That's part of the reason he was there. But how he would talk about like in the middle of the game, guys would be like, "Hey, can I can I get your shoes? Like, can I buy your shoes off of you after the game (laughs) and stuff like that?" And like hearing like I just can't you know imagine stuff like that, Um, you know. And so hearing him have have memories of that, but no, he was he was great, and he's I think it's funny. I mean, definitely that like the '99 2000 team Kmart. Mar Kenny that, that you were on. I think a lot of people remember that. But I also mm-hmm. think for a lot of people that remember the Jordan brand, like it's it's Hicks, it's it's James White. Oh, um sure. you know, it's kind of those last couple teams too that stand out in terms of guys that embody the type of you know, just mentality that the UC had in that era.
1: And I, I mean I, I think listen, you're exactly right. I think really the two parties in play really hit their stride from a standpoint of I think the the Jordan brand figured out how they exist in that world of the sneakers and the gear. Because like I said in the article, it was a little bit of a rough start. They were (laughs) just jumping into it, right? We had black uniforms. We had white uniforms, which obviously the black ones became the very iconic uh, uniforms. And, you know, eventually the team shoes came. And so it was just kind of like, how do they exist but by the time like you said i think james white and hicks was is a, a is spot on because
3: man when they dropped
1: low exactly when they dropped those red uniforms holy moly i mean forget about it like that was like the biggest thing in the world and i interviewed james white and we talked about he used to wear the uh Red suede Jordan twenty ones with the red uniform and that was like an iconic look. And it just I mean, kids all over everywhere were copying that. So I, I think you're I, I think you're spot on. It kind of really hit its stride at that point.
2: Right. Um but you know, a lot of people
1: talk about the the brand coming back to the Bearcats. The, so how much do you know about the unarmor deal? What's the what's the, the length of that, the amount?
2: so i'm 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 going this off the top of my head, so if i I might you know mess up a little thing, but I believe it was a two thousand fifteen deal for ten years, so we're you know basically still right in the middle of it um yeah, I don't remember the exact amount i don't, you know, honestly I know it was maybe what. Am I Fifty million or something like that. I'll have to look. I don't want to make sure. I don't want to mess it up.
1: Man, it's um, one of the it's one of the top deals, right? Yeah. So, and when okay. they
2: signed it, too, especially like Under Armour's kind of gotten into the game a lot more since then. Um, but when they when they signed that deal, it was it was one of the top ones, you know, uh, among college basketball. Yeah, I think it was right around fifty million. Um wow. And you know, it's they were coming out of the Adidas deal, which uh, Adidas. Know, especially at that time, was a kind of a bigger brand, no name. But uh-huh. they got a lot more, honestly, just got a lot more money and a lot more love from Under Armour in terms of for the sure. gear they were getting and the attention they were getting and stuff like that. I think it's been a really good deal, you know, looking at it from a financial university athletics perspective, I, I think that deal's been really good for them. You know, the problem th- is that nothing's ever going to live up to –
3: <laughs> that
2: era you know when you're talking about gear when you're talking about just people's memories of that time you know huggins and and, and those teams and stuff like that so when you look at it from that perspective like everything's going to pale in comparison um I, I i think but i think the university really likes the deal you know uh john Brandon was a was an underarmor guy with with nku and so he kind of was familiar with that when he came over and then obviously now everything is in terms of money, is so much football based, and I think honestly, I think Under Armour has been really good just from a football perspective. Uh, you know, I guess Fickle would have been Nike when he was at Ohio State, um, but anyone that knows Fickle, I don't honestly don't think he cares too much about that kind of stuff. You know, I think he'll he'll wear whatever they give him. So right. you know, I, I'm sure it'll be interesting to see when they when they get to the point where it it talks about having to you know whether continue that deal. You know, 2025. So I, honestly, probably in the next three years here, they'll probably start talking about it. Um, and I have no idea what the landscape will look like then. I don't know how the deals have changed even since they've signed it in 2015. Um, mm-hmm. every, based on what I know now, I would kind of be surprised if they didn't continue it just because I think it's been, been good for all parties. But, you know, it's funny. I asked Jamal about it, and he was – he knew he had to be careful because he's like, I work for Jordan. They're not a Jordan school anymore. I don't, I don't want to, you know, be accused of tampering or anything like that. But he was, he, he talked about it from a fan perspective. It was funny, like that was where he went first. He didn't think about it as I'm high up in command at Jordan Brand at Nike. He, he was like, I just, he mentioned that he still has duffel bags he keeps with him of of all the UC gear he got, and so True. he was thinking like, True. as a Bearcats fan, as a Bearcats. Graduate, you know, alumni. Oh, I would love that because he remembers what it was like. Um, I don't. I don't know how likely that is to happen, but uh, it's it's something that no matter how far we get removed from that era, fans are still going to ask and talk about it just because of how iconic and cool it was.
1: You know, without a doubt, man. and so I, I think one thing fans don't totally understand is that deals like it's just not that easy to get a Jordan deal, Nike deal again. It's just not right. as simple as jumping ship and making that happen. And like you said and, and you know, you're kind of in the in the know over there and I've been in the know to some regards <clears throat> regarding those things and Under Armour deal has been fantastic for the university from like a financial standpoint. It's very rare that you see deals like that from a shoe brand or shoe company, apparel brand where you get that much cash. Mm-hmm. Um it just it's, it's not it doesn't happen a lot. So the combination of the amount of gear and being able to take care of the non-revenue uh, generating sports too. I mean, you look right. at all across the board, they're all wearing Under Armour, and that's that's important for those student athletes, I think, as well. So gotta be conscious of that. So I think the deal worked out well from my perspective. I would love <clears throat> to see the school go back to all Nike and basketball and football you know they they're now doing um basketball and football uh Jordan schools so right. they could they could potentially do a Jordan football, Jordan basketball and then all the other sports would be you know a, a Nike um uh, teams and and trust me I have been to Nike's campus and I have talked to the people that could make it happen and I have pleaded with them Talk to this person. Make it so. I want Bearcat fans. On. I've tried to do my part, but <laughs> I'm just a little walk-on at the end of the bench. But I was barking, so I was fighting on on behalf. But uh, but listen, hey, I, I, the article was um, I think great, uh, fantastic, and it, it really hit home with a, with a lot of lot of fans and and took off. But I, one thing I think you've done a great job this year, Justin, is you've taken what's been a it's been a wild season Mm
3: -hmm. and
1: i think some of the articles i think i've read almost every article you've written um you've managed to put some great perspective um on some situations to, to i think help people understand i think you've done a great job with that so if you don't mind i'd like to talk about um the season that just occurred
2: yeah absolutely i appreciate you saying that
1: yeah, no, no, I really do um, because there, there's some, listen, there's some things that I, I just, I can't articulate on Twitter. Um, I can do a little bit on podcasts, but the way you've written things and explained it, you know, on on paper, well, not on paper, but so people can read it, I think it really hit home. So you, I think you really hit some home runs with those. So if you could, from your perspective, kind of, wrap this season up and and give your thoughts on it
3: yeah you
2: know it's weird it's funny I've talked to you know some some coaches and and players just involved with it since it's happened you know especially last week and it's kind of funny talking to them like it's it's hard for them to even realize or move on from that season just because of the way it ended so abruptly yeah and you know you have everyone's already starting to kind of look towards next year and recruiting and the transfer portals going crazy but for you know the people involved they were just you know regardless of how much time they might have left in that season that's where they were so focused and and hunkered down on and so it's i think it's still weird for a lot of them to to think that it was just over the way that it was looking back at it as a, as a whole and i've i've written this before i've said this i think everyone myself included underestimated how hard this transition would be
3: mm-hmm. you know
2: with the coaching change from great from Cronin to Brannon the way that the you know not only do you have the head coach change but you're literally changing basically the entire staff um, you, you change most of the roster they had more new incoming scholarship players than returning scholarship players and that even changed some as the season went on they had a couple people leave during the season and you're changing just total top-down philosophies in terms of the way they play, and so I think that's all those you're, you're juggling personalities, you're juggling getting to know the new coaches, but you're also having to change the way you guard ball screens and stuff like that. And so when you combine all of those things, it's just it takes a while, and then you have injury issues, and you know, so when you add on the stuff that Jaron was dealing with at the start of the season, where he was banged up and he wasn't in you know tip-top Jaron shape, and he wasn't playing the way that he normally does. So then that totally changes the dynamic because it it takes you out of how you play with your, your best player when you're still trying to learn everything brand new, new players and new staff. And, you know, everyone, I think, saw what John Brandon has done at a place like NKU. And I think he did a really good job of selling his vision for the program early on, especially in that introductory press conference. People get excited because they're like, "Oh, it's going to be up and down offense, you know, playing fast. This is going to be a great fit for people," and all that stuff is true. I just think how hard it is to kind of change guys who have been there for a long time and and trying to start all that stuff right from the beginning when you miss out on the first couple weeks of an off season. It's tough, and yeah. and I think that's what I kind of realized those first couple months of the season is because you know, I, I definitely got into that too, where it's like, "Oh yeah, this this could be great for." You know, Jaron's offense, when when you have a coach like this who's, you know, he could be scoring 25 points a game or whatever. Well, that doesn't factor in the fact that he's a little bit banged up and and the season starts kind of slow for him and everyone's still learning stuff. So I think it's actually when you consider how much the whole team had to change. And I I give John Brand a lot of credit for that, the way he tweaks some things. I give, you know, players specifically kind of those returning guys, Jaron, Trey Scott, Keith Williams the way that they adapted their games,
3: mm-hmm. and, and the
2: way that, yeah, it was maybe a little rocky for those first two months, but the fact that they were able to turn it around, win a share of the conference title, uh, I, I'm actually, like, I think maybe we, we kind of now underappreciate just how hard and how difficult it was for that team to do that this past season, and I think uh, I think the future is very bright with John Brandon as head coach. I think he's going to, do a really good job of kind of implementing his system here the next couple seasons. But he was in a tough spot in the sense that there are very few people who take over a program like Cincinnati in that good of shape. Like if you look at, you know, what McCronin kind of inherited in terms of mm-hmm. some of the issues and sanctions and stuff that were going on at that time, yep. you know, a lot of times when you have a new coach at a, at a school with the history of UC, you it's like a rebuilding job you know they're, they're not coming into a great situation um, and so he came in where he had a team that was a tournament team that has one of the you know top 10 all-time scores in history top three returning scores or whatever it was and he has to simultaneously kind of put his own culture in his own system which is why he got hired onto that while also not just kind of saying like all right well that means we're probably not going to do very well this year, even though we have some good pieces coming back. And he was able to juggle that and and kind of do both and and put his own culture and his own philosophy in while also tweaking it a little bit to the existing personnel and making sure that this was a team that had a very good chance to make the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I I just think without, you know, being on the outside of that, everyone just assumes that process would be a little bit easier and smoother than it actually was. And then, you know, it, it was never smooth because the other crazy part is just the way this team played in February, and everyone's talked about it, and, uh, you know, I've written about it, but the, the all the overtime games, and, you know, even the games that didn't go to overtime came down to one possession.
4: They were able to win most
2: of those and, and play well, but just that whole stretch, like, for fans was crazy because of how how close and how tight every game was. And so from that perspective, not just because of the way the season ended, but I feel like it has to be one of the more memorable seasons in recent memory because of just how close everything was down the stretch.
1: For sure. And and I was talking, I interviewed Sam Martin on uh, the walk on uh, mm-hmm. last week and Sam and I were talking about this. Sam's first season, he played 10 games. His second season, he played six. This season, Sam played in two games and played a total of two minutes. And a large part of that has to do with what you're talking about. So many games were close. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, but you know, this team consistently, you know, found ways to overcome adversity. Um, it was like they they lose some wild game they should have lost, turn around, come back, and then that stretch of four games, Justin, where they went to overtime, double OT, and just Trey Scott playing one hundred and seventy two total minutes. <laughs> I mean, which is it's it's just completely insane. Um, but, you, you know, like you said, you know, I think you've got to tip your hat to a lot of these guys um, on the team for, for how they have kind of fought through this season, the adversity. And one guy specifically, and I want you to kind of touch on what it was like to cover him and your thoughts on him is Jaron Cumberland because, you know, Jaron is a very unique uh, superstar, mm-hmm. um, probably one of the most different type of superstars that the Bearcats have ever had. Um, from your perspective, uh, thoughts on Jaron and what, what, what it was like to cover him from a media standpoint, because he's not a man of many words.
2: No, and that's definitely you know the interesting part of it, because normally when you have a player of of his caliber and his importance, like he's going to be the one doing all the interviews. You know, he's going to be the guy that you're writing all the the stories about. And with him, that's just not the easiest thing, because he you know he genuinely does not like the the spotlight in that way. You know, he's he's a guy who definitely when he was playing, like, he would embrace it on the court in terms of being the most important player, the guy who kind of everything ran through. But off the floor, he just – he's a quiet guy. He's a shy guy. He was always very nice. You know, it was – I never kind of viewed him as, like, a a malcontent in terms of not wanting to do interviews. Right. He just didn't like to do it. And it's – you know, the other funny part of that, too, is – and I tell people this all the time – it's a shame because when we got him, he was great. Yep. Like, he will always, you know, especially if you go to one-on-one, you know, if if you're staying with a bunch of of people and there's a bunch of TV cameras, I think, like, the shyness, you know, that's kind of what would take over there. Even in those scenarios, he would give great answers. But, you know, I had a long sit-down with him at Media Day, you know, the conference Media Day back in October or whatever it was, which it was in Philadelphia. Honestly, the really only reason I went was because I knew I could probably get a sit-down with Jaren. And it was worth it because he was just great. And anytime you could have that chance with him, you see, you know, just what a smart basketball player he is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so from that perspective, it was, it, you know, it was challenging, but it made it more interesting at times that you're having to kind of write about this guy who is kind of inaccessible from a media quote standpoint. And then on the floor, like you know, it's it'll be it'll be interesting to look back, you know, five years from now and kind of try and put this season into context because he had (laughs) such high expectations coming in. And part of that's because of how great he was, especially last year where he just completely carried that team, which, you know, was a good team and and had a great season. But, uh, you know, I I think in kind of the past few years of Cincinnati basketball was one of the more mediocre teams. Um, And that's not, you know, a discredit to anyone. That's kind of almost more so a credit to him and Mick Cronin the way that they were able to win. Wherever they won 28 games last year um and so seeing to go from that and, and come in with the, the new coach and the new system and everyone being so excited about it and you know just the the shame is that he wasn't healthy to start the year and so that put him you know kind of behind track on everything in general uh and, and then the biggest thing you know Obviously, once he started playing well and once they kind of put the ball in his hands as the point guard, that's when the season really flipped around. Yep,
3: for sure. But even
2: even knowing that in the moment, you know, I wrote about this kind of – I went back and looked at some of the top plays from the season, and that really made me appreciate in retrospect just how important he was to the success of the team in general, whether that was a game where he's scoring 20-plus points, which he did a bunch of times this season, or just in the simple fact that he has the ball in his hands pushing out seven assists or he's kind of creating all of these big momentum turning plays during the season. Like I think about that, the bounce pass he threw to Keith Williams Mm -hmm. in the the Houston Mm -hmm. game where they made that big 15 point comeback. Like not only is that an amazing basketball play that very few human beings could ever make, but it was also just in the moment of the game, it cut the lead to two, the crowds going insane. Like that was a huge play just in general for that game and that comeback regardless of how impressive it was. And so yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I definitely think people realize how great he was and all the numbers say that and kind of the reaction you would always get from the fans say that. But I do think, you know, Moegger wrote about this and has talked about this and other people have to, just his importance as a player on the team to that team's overall success, as much as we've talked about it, we might still be undervalued. And I think we might look back in a couple of years and be like, man, it you know Trey Scott was great. Keith Williams was great. They had all these huge pieces, but it was really Jaron Cumberland that just made that team go.
1: 100% agree. Well said. And with that being said, I want to transition into the future and life without Jaron Cumberland, Trey sure. Scott, and those seniors. So looking at forecasting for next season, I mean they've got a lot of good pieces uh, coming back. I think guys that have some really, really good game experience. Um, what What are your thoughts about Next year, not only the guys that are coming back, but then some of the recruits that are coming in.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's as crazy as it sounds like it's it's almost going to be more of a rebuilding season than this year was because they're going to be really young, um, at least in, in terms of what they're at right now. Keith um, Williams and Chris Vogt are the two seniors on the roster as of right now. But even, you know, like Chris Vogt just feel he doesn't feel the same way as Keith because he's only been there one year. Right. So, um, they're going to be young in the sense that they just have a lot of, you know, Mike Adams Wood, Zach Harvey, Jeremiah Davenport, mama duty those guys are all going to be really important pieces on this team next year so have moments, but they just haven't, you know, played a ton of minutes the same way that Keith and Jaron and, and Trey had coming into this season. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting that they already have four kind of incoming freshmen, three that are signed, another one that, was in the, the next period. So hasn't officially signed yet. Um, and Tari Eason, but, uh, he's, he's going to be a big time player for him. Um, and it's going to have to be probably right away just in terms of getting minutes and stuff like that. So you got the three freshmen from this year, the four ones coming in, they still have a couple open scholarships. I think, at least one, maybe two of those go to someone on the transfer market, whether it's like a yep. traditional grad transfer or one yep. rule changes and anyone comes in and can play right away as a transfer. So they will get a little bit older there, but, you know, it's a, a lot is going to fall on the shoulders of those young guys kind of taking a big leap and stepping up, but definitely on, on Keith Williams and, and Chris Vote, and really Mamadou, I think, you know, especially mm. just because of how thin they are at least right now in the post. Um, And what I think – I think there's a couple really encouraging signs. One big one to me is just the way that Keith played in moments this season where he had to be the main guy. USF Uh, game. Yeah, the USF game's won. The East Carolina road game where Jaron fouled out late in the game. Like, those are the two kind of that stand out to me where when they – you know, Keith, he's been up and down at times. um, But when they really needed him to kind of be the guy, he came through in a huge way. And so I think if you're
3: looking,
2: he's not – here in Cumberland in terms of the way they played so it's not going to be like he just fills in for that spot but at least right now he's he's kind of the number one offensive option and I think what's encouraging is you think that he dropped 30 on USF in that game um, Mm because he definitely proved he can do it
1: no no doubt about it and you you mentioned someone I think someone that's very key next year is going to be Mamadou and I really love to see Mamadou's progression this year and and I think coach Brand has said this a couple times during a post-game interview and he talked about Mamadou just just out there appreciating the minutes he does get cuz a lot of times as a player sometimes you complain about the minutes you get and sometimes you're appreciative of the minutes you get and and Mamadou was approaching it that way and towards that later part of the season um you know Mamadou's ability to you know change how the team was playing defensively was so very important like the mm. ball screen coverages like you know, his long, his, his rebounding was key in so many games. When I look at you take a piece of that and kind of stretch that out a little bit for next year and hoping that he can start to fill the void of some of what Trey Scott did this season.
2: Right. No, I think you're right. And I, I think Trey's actually an interesting example because if you think back to last season or if, you know, technically two seasons ago now, what would have been Trey's junior year, you know, he hadn't really played that much. He backed up Gary Clark. He, hadn't, yep. he didn't have to play. And he, you know, everyone's going to remember what he did the last six weeks of this past season. But I think what he did last year where he scored like nine points a game and, and six rebounds a game. That was a huge leap for him, played 30 minutes a game. And, yeah, I, I think that's a good comparison because that's kind of what Mamadou's going to have to do. The, the biggest thing for me with him is, Everyone's always seen kind of the raw, like, physical abilities, but also just if you ever, like, see him warm up shooting before games, he's just, you know, draining threes and he looks like Kevin Durant when he does it. And you're like, right. if this guy could ever figure it out, he has all the pieces. Yep. And what was, you know, kind of fun for me to watch is towards the end of that season, he, like, he did, you could almost see him figuring it out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And that was, he'd even started to play a little bit more minutes up to that point, but just in terms of, like, in terms of him catching the ball and thinking about it, he would catch it and, like, make the make the right path. Or, yeah, he would read a ball screen and, and play it correctly. And yep. You could almost just see, that, like, him speeding up in the way he played the game because he was understanding it and feeling more comfortable. And so when you pair that with everything he can do athletically, you know, if, if that can kind of continue and he can have a, a good off-season of development, hopefully that he gets it. Um, then yeah, I mean, that he could become – you know, kind of what Trey Scott has been to this team the past couple of years, um, which, would, which would be huge because they're going to need it. Uh, yep. But yeah, I think the way he played the last two weeks is just really encouraging in terms of how the mental stuff started to catch up with his physical abilities.
1: Yeah, no Dan, you mentioned something about the transfer portal. And I think as of maybe Monday, it was like 400. Did you <laughs> see that?
3: That's wild.
1: That That is, that's unbelievable. Like, I was talking to um Travis Steele um before the season started before Bearcat fans get angry that I was talking to Travis Steele. <laughs> I've known Travis for a long time, way back to the AU days when he was in Indiana. Uh great, great person by the way, but he and I were just talking about the state of, you know, basketball right now. <clears throat> and he was talking about the process that a lot of these coaches have to go through right now and he goes, Listen, first and foremost I'm recruiting the guys on my own team. He goes, that's the first thing I do because a lot of these guys all over the country are just leaving. Look at Wichita State. How many guys left? Was it like five or something like that? Six, yeah. That's amazing. So you're almost recruiting or re-recruiting the guys you have on your roster. And then from there, once you've done that, you've got to look at, Okay, here are my you know twenty twenty one kids twenty twenty two. You're going through that process. Now you're looking at grad transfers. There's just so many things to to kind of factor in. It's a it's a tough dance. Um, go ahead. You gonna say
3: something? No, I
2: mean, in your, and now there is everyone's kind of assuming I think this will happen, but there's all this talk that they're gonna. You know, do away with uh, having to sit out a season, and I think that's part of the reason why you see so many guys yeah. entering now is because they're they're hoping and assuming it's not a done point. deal yet. But it seems like it's going that way, yep. and that just totally changes you know the whole face of it because now you don't have to just look at a grad transfer. You have to look at, you know, oh, we could get a guy that could play for a few years, but how will that impact our recruiting? You know, we we signed a guy who thinks he's going to play in two years, and that might change. So no, you're right. There's just now a ton of different factors with a lot of options. Clearly,
1: and I and I hope everyone stays um, from the Bearcat team from this season to next. But I'm 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 excited about it. You know, I was really excited to see Mike Adams would get the minutes he did. I went to some early practices, Justin, and I was like, man, this kid's struggling. <laughs> and, and Coach, you know, <laughs> JB said he, he's gonna be good. He's just he's trying to figure it out. Like he was lost at practice. And I even said something early. If you go back, I think it might have been my first or second podcast. I was like, I I don't see him getting a lot of minutes right now. Um, he's gonna be a future type of guard. Boy, was I wrong. Um, he just. <laughs> but you know, you know, sometimes kids just figure it out at different points. But I'm, I'm excited. Future-wise, it's great that he, he got the experience he did and him at point. I feel comfortable with him at point next year. And I think Keith is a guy that, if he plays the way he should, will be up for conference player of the year. I don't see any reason why he couldn't. Mamadou, we talked about him. Zach Harvey, I mean, we saw we saw just glimpses of Zach Harvey, especially defensively. Mm-hmm. I was most impressed with how he guarded Um, And I think as his offensive game, as he starts to just build that confidence back uh, offensively, um, I think definitely he's going to be a a huge, huge piece. And then Big Chris and adding, like we talked about, you know, transfers and recruits, and I'm I'm excited. And so that transitions me to ask you, and you kind of talked about this earlier, but um, I, I keep telling fans, like, what Coach Brannon is installing in this program in the long run will benefit this program. Like we are going to be in such good shape in regards to making NCAA tournament runs, the style of play and what's, you know, what's going to be successful moving forward to win games all the way to April. You agree with that?
2: Yeah, I know. I think so. And, you know, I also think it's important to remember, especially kind of after this season, like, it might take a little bit of time. You know, they definitely kind of – you saw a difference in the way they played uh, this year on both ends of the floor. That's going to be, you know, even greater this season. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, two or three years from now it's going to look like that. You know, one of the things I've told some people is more so on offense, I think, than defense. But if you look at what Dayton was on offense this season, like, they, you know, Anthony Grant is a mentor for, for Brandon. He coached under sure. him. BC in yep. Alabama, they run a lot of the same stuff, like that is what UC wants to look like in two or three seasons is the way Dayton looked this year. Um and you're just gonna start to see that more and more and then on defense you're gonna see more of like the the press and the full court stuff uh, you know, one thing I, I think you – one thing you can say about John Brand is he, he doesn't underthink anything. You know, this is a guy who is very analytical, <laughs> yep. whether it's statistics or, you know, I've written about the way that they schedule. You know, he's very specific in wanting to schedule difficult teams. And sometimes there will be frustrating moments because of that, like when you lose that home to Colgate. Um, but when you kind of extrapolate that over, you know, a long period of time and in terms of – your tournament resume and in terms of how ready your team is to play in February and March like those are that's what he's he's geared toward and he's thinking about all that kind of stuff and and so no i i agree with you i think you have to give him a lot of credit and the team a lot of credit for the way that they navigated this season but if you're looking long term like he still has a lot of stuff that we maybe even just got glimpses of or haven't even seen at all that she wants to implement in this program. I think you'll start to see a little bit of it this year. Um but I definitely think it's you know it's gonna be a two and three year process and, and we'll start to see it, you know, start now and hopefully kinda of come to fruition in a couple of years.
1: No no doubt about it I agree with that. So the last part here and I always do this with every person that I interview, I like to do quick questions,
3: quick right. answers.
1: So are you ready for that? Yes sir. All right, so we got quick questions, quick answers with Justin Williams. All right, the first one: If you had a shooting contest for Chad Brendel of BearCatJournal.com, dot com, who would win? I think I'm I'm going to say me
2: from from Three Point Land. That's Three you. Three Point Land. Chad Chad would would beat me in a in a lot of different things. I think I might have
4: him <laughs> on shooting.
2: You know, he was like a you like a track star though in high school. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, so like I wouldn't anything like that. I would not, you know. I'm I'm certainly not the most athletic person, but if we're just talking like three point shots, I think I would I gonna win. Okay, well
1: have to, I'm gonna I'm tell Chad this, so we gotta <laughs> make, we might have to make this happen. So um, during your time covering the Bearcats, now you can actually extend this to football if you want. Who's been your favorite Bearcat player to interview?
2: Hmm, I think it's I think it's Trey Scott. Okay just in terms of like thoughtfulness as a person, um, but but giving good answers and, you know, kind of especially the way he played down the stretch this season, he'd, he'd definitely be, he'd be the one I think I'd pick.
1: And, you know, over the past, gosh, 15, 20 years, it always seems like uh, there's a player that's been with the program for four years that, that develops and just turns into this ambassador for the program. And, Trey Scott may be one of the best we've ever had. I mean, the dude embodies everything that is to be a student athlete, Mm -hmm. um, to, to have excellence on the court and off the court. He embodies
3: all of that. I agree.
1: All right, my next one. I mean, since you did the article, this has to be a question. What's your favorite Air Jordan sneaker of all time?
2: Ooh, this is good. All right, so you're you're gonna be better. I, I love the threes. Okay. Which My, that, like like the kind of the, the little front swoop on that one, right?
1: Uh, the it had the uh, what they call the elephant print on it
2: on the right. front part and the back. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the threes are up there. Classic. And I, I think the elevens. That's probably another one. There's there's none that I have that are like way you know kind of out there. I do. I don't even remember the number. You would remember this better. What was the one that had like the kind of like front little guard flap thing that you could take on and off? Um, there
1: were several of those. Are you talking about
2: it almost like snapped on?
1: Um, there was a pair. I think you're talking about. Was it the years that like? Um, um, Chad Moore played, or before, or Satterfield, because there was both of those guys. Where there was the Jordan eighteen that had, but that didn't have the flap. That didn't remove. Um, I thought it would have been
2: something in the twenties. Maybe um, I the only reason I'm asking is because like I uh, I played like I remember having a pair of those when I was growing up. Um, so that was why it jumped out, but. The twelves, I know those are like an iconic one. Oh, um, my, my favorite plan ever. So were you were you the do you like the black and white or the black and red ones? Of the twelves? Yeah. Um well of all the colorways, um, the white and
1: black that are called a taxi, those will always be my favorite of the twelves, but the black and white, um are and you, you posted a picture um in the article that you wrote uh, Kenyans wearing the black and white 12s with right. the long black socks.
2: And the black um, uniform. Oh,
1: those just – man, <laughs> did those just not hit perfectly or what? It's true. Uh, I mean, did, that's,
2: those... you mentioned in the. I do think it factored in just the, the color scheme matchup between that and the Bulls. You know, I, I really think Perfect. that that helped. Even, you know, however much a part of it was contributing to the deal, it just made it so much better because some of these schools didn't have the, the same color scheme.
1: Yep. No doubt about it. All right. uh, Two more questions for you. Um, The next one is, in your opinion, the greatest musical artist of all time? Bob Dylan. Ooh, okay. Favorite favorite Bob Dylan
2: album? Ooh, probably Blood on the Tracks, which is like, it's, it, I, it would not be my answer to the, you could listen to one album for the rest of your life because it's, it's kind of depressing, but it's just like favorite album. That one, that one's probably up there. And I know if are going to be shocked by that cause I'm, I'm, I'm much younger than the majority of the Bob Dylan demographic out there, but uh,
1: yeah.
2: I'll blame my dad for that, but I'm, I've always been a Dylan guy.
1: There you go. All right. So my last question, and maybe ah, this might be the most important question. So, it's Saturday night. Let's imagine it's Saturday night, and you can only go to one bar. Do you go to the CI or the pub? <laughs> CI or the pub, Justin? And you know
2: what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's it's an easy answer. It's the CI for me. Okay. Can you tell everybody what the hell I'm talking about? You're talking about the uh, the Ohio University Athens bar scene. <laughs> Which is quite popular. It is quite popular, and I love, I don't want to besmirch the pub, I love the pub, but <laughs> n- no question, I want my feet sticking to the floor in the basement of the CI, without that about? <laughs> that is good stuff, one of my best
1: friends, uh, Seth Coyle, he went to OU, so I used to go up there, uh, obviously I went for Halloween, but also went and uh, we went to the CI and the pub and all those, what was
2: the pizza place called,
1: uh, what was that, there was a pizza joint, Right. Yeah, I
2: mean, there's so there's good fellows. There's one of those. It's different than like the good fellows here. Okay. There's uh there's there's a courtside pizza. Court. I think it was courtside. I yeah. think it was courtside. Yep. Yep. So we 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 spent a lot of time there cuz I actually had a friend who bartended, so, you know, we we didn't actually get free drinks, but we acted like we did. Um <laughs> much much to the chagrin of his tips at the end of the night, but uh yeah, so we we <laughs> spent a lot of time there.
1: There you go, good deal. Now, can you quickly tell the listeners um, how they can follow your work and um, also your social media?
2: Sure. So I'm on Twitter uh, at Williams underscore Justin. Was not the easiest name to, you know, get the most original sure. emails or Twitter account for. So at Williams underscore Justin, and then you know everything I write is uh, on the Athletic dot com. Actually, now is a perfect time. Everyone's stuck in their houses. There's a 90 day free trial. You go on, you subscribe, you don't get charged for for three months. You can read everything, even though there's no sports, we're still pumping out the the articles. I'll still be writing about the Bearcats um, and and anything else, whether it's Cincinnati or all over the the country, the world, we're covering everything. So you can get it all there.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, I appreciate your time, and I usually, you know, I usually try to keep the interviews thirty thirty five minutes. And but hey, we got flowing, man. And oh uh, know. know
2: this is I great love talking about it. I, you know, and I, I, I mean this, you know, I've told you this before, I really appreciate your, you've been a, a big supporter of my work and uh, you obviously have a, a big following and just a lot of cred with the, the fan base. And so that, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate you doing
3: that.
1: Yeah, no, no problem at all, man. I appreciate your work and um, keeping, I, I, like I said before, man, just putting content out there to help the fans kind of get their arms around what's going on. And I think that's, that's very important so you do great work and appreciate you coming on now listen this isn't going to be the only time so you're going to have to come on more frequently anytime you de- want. Man. okay
2: sounds good man appreciate you coming on anytime i appreciate it all right take care
0: i want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode our interview series of the bearcat basketball podcast and once again you can follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at BigMeach41. And soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.